So turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 1, as we're starting a new book tonight. And keep your finger there, and then turn to Acts 17, Acts chapter 17. So, let's read the first nine, ten verses of chapter one. We're only going to cover about three, and so and before I forget, too, um, and next uh, Wednesday night will be our drive-through prayer, and so um, remember the food will be here at six, set up and all afterwards, and then. Um, we're not going to do that every week, but we're kind of we're going to kind of take it week to week, and and obviously for the weather's, we're going to do it twice. And this, well, I don't know how it was announced, but it didn't come clearly through. So, if the weather's permitting, obviously we're not going to do it in the rain, <laughs> unless you want to use umbrellas. <laughs> the people will be in their cars; they'll be fine, right? <laughs> but we'll get soaked. <laughs> So anyway, Father, we do ask that you bless your word in Jesus' name. Paul and Silvanus, Timothy, to the church in Thessalonica, in God, the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to you always, for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us in the word of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For yourselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned from God to God from idols to serve the living and true God to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. And so this is one of the earlier epistles that Paul had written and he probably wrote it from Corinth, and if you, you know, look in your little map in the back of your Bible, you know, you get a little geography lesson, you know, and, you know, you look at Greece, and then, you know, Macedonia, that's that whole area there, and you can see that Thessalonica is towards the upper center, and then there's Berea, and then down on the coast there at the tip uh, at a coastal city was Corinth. So Paul, as we'll read here in in Acts, uh, in his second missionary journey, uh, Philippi, then Thessalonica, Berea, and then 
down to Athens and then over to Corinth uh, was the route that was taken there. And uh, establishing churches there uh, in Greece, you know, modern-day Greece, and uh, tremendous fruit came forth from that second missionary journey. So he, he, as Paul's method was, he would go to the synagogues. He would, the gospel was to go to who first? The Jew and then the Gentile. So he would go. It's kind of nice how this whole thing was set up by the Lord, right? Anytime you had at least 10 Jewish men, then he, they would establish a synagogue in that city. So Paul uh, didn't have to go looking for a place, a church to go to. He just went to the local synagogue. Being a Jew, he understood how everything rolled out, and then he would preach the gospel there. And if the Jews received it, great. If not, then he would, again, uh, turn to the Gentiles. So that was sort of Paul's MO as he planted the, uh, the various churches. And so as a result of his missionary work, we know that there were a lot of Jews that were converted, and there was also a lot of Gentiles. And if you remember, that was the big adjustment, if you will, that took place at with the first century church. The Jewish people who received Christ had a, a difficult time really accepting the, the Gentiles. Can these uh, um, dogs, the little puppies, right? They were looked down upon uh, by the Jewish people. Uh, could it it was it was such a revelation, you know, it took a revelation for Peter, right? The sheet let down from heaven. Don't call what I've cleansed unclean anymore. Wow. You know, chapter 11 of of Acts. It must be that God's granted salvation to the Gentiles. Can you imagine? You know, such a thing, you know. And that's sort of the way they looked at it. So there was this whole thing going on. And, of course, Paul's mission was to the Gentiles. And he, he sought through actually his whole ministry. If you're familiar with Paul and you pay attention, he... There was a famine going on in, in, in Israel, in Judea, in that area. And so he gathered from all the Gentile churches through their leadership an offering so that when he went to Passover, he could give it to the apostles there and then they could distribute it to the, those in Judea that had need. A way of showing a, a unity and a oneness that was to be in the body of Christ. And so uh, just a tremendous heart that Paul had. But as you read through these letters that Paul wrote, uh, probably around 50 AD or so, you'll see that he has tremendous love for these people. You know, and, and it's true, wherever you go, and some of you have moved, like all of us, right? We're all transplants, right? You know, and it's, it's, I find it so, I just think it's a wonderful thing being a believer. When you go to another church and you plug in and you get to know other people, it's kind of like immediately there's a commonality. It's like, it's sticker. It's it, we're we're closer than blood. There's a bond that we have in Christ. It's like we relax. We get to know people. It's like they they know the same Jesus that I know, and they are being taught by the Holy Spirit just like we're being taught by the Holy Spirit. And there's just wow, the family of God is a special thing. No matter where you go around the world, and for myself, going in different countries around the world preaching the gospel, and and you know I've got guys now. You've got these apps. You know the what what's a, the WhatsApp. You know and I'm getting. Regular updates from what's going on in Africa and, and 
um, you know, I've got brothers and sisters over there that, that I'm very fond of and have developed a relationship with. And, of course, we all know who Deo is, right? And we, we love, uh, love him, and, of course, we support him. And uh, so there's just that bond of love. And so you can kind of see that in Paul's writings. Uh, it's just a natural thing that happens as you walk in the, in the Spirit. But uh, what we have here in the first chapter, at least as I see it, is the impact of an example. And when you're an example as a parent to your child, you know, it doesn't really matter if it's a good example or a bad example. Your kids are going to be a lot like you in some areas. And that's a scary thing. It really is. You know, why does my why do my sons, why are they sloppy at the table sometimes? Because that's what they saw in their dad doing, right? <laughs> he had not done it. I try to be behave but i mean they pick up certain things like oh i know where they got that (laughs) they learn by example and in this case there's a good example and i think the thessalonians were good examples because paul and this his team silas referred to as salvanus here and timothy were were and himself were great examples to them and they respected the call of God and saw the authority by which these men ministered the gospel to them. And so let's let's get a little background of this by going back to Acts 17 and just reading a, a little bit here uh, of the second missionary journey beginning in verse 1 of chapter 17 in Acts. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apania, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded And a great multitude of devout Greeks, not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded become envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers to the rulers of the city, crying out, These men have turned the world upside down and have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. They troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And this is, next verse is important here. Uh, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. So they had to get Paul out of Dodge (laughs) or he would suffer some more persecution. So that's, that's kind of the initial planting of the church. What a way to plant the church, cause a riot, you know. Of course, we're not used to riots. We don't understand riots in our day, right? I mean... (laughs) See, you know, all too familiar. But so, so essentially what happened here is they, look how quickly 
the church was planted. I mean, obviously you've got, it's sort of set up nicely because you've got religious people that are familiar with the scriptures, the Jews. And then any of the Greeks in that area that wanted to be converted or, you know, were seeking God would, would come to the synagogues as well and be taught the scriptures or read the scriptures at least. So there was a good, a lot of seeds already planted here. And it was fertile ground. And when the truth was brought with such authority and clarity that just the people responded just immediately. And what it, I find, you know, this is sort of a side note, but what I find amazing is Paul's there three weeks. And not only did he bring the validity of Christ being the Messiah, I just find it amazing that he's, he's bringing end times material to them. He's talking about eschatological last things that are going to happen in the church. We get, you know, chapter 4, if we want to read ahead, right? It's the rapture chapter. You know, the church is going to be caught up. And like, the oh, well, we don't want to break. You know, they're just babes in Christ. You know, this is sort of the approach that we have. We Just hold on. We, we want to give you the milk of the word, and then we'll eventually get to the meat of the word. No, Paul didn't hold anything back. Just, just boom, and just brought the truth to these people. And you'll, you'll see tonight there's a reason for that. It's the word hope, actually. But anyway, what we want to look at here this morning, this morning, this evening, I don't know what time it is. What time is it? <laughs> um, is the, the ways in which these people uh, were examples. And they were, uh, they were a cause, as we'll see here initially, a cause for thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving is a very important thing. These were people that were prayed for regularly. These people were remembered by Paul and his team uh, for their testimony and how they were received uh, by, uh, you know, the whole ministry team was received by the city. Uh, and it, it made a big Im, uh, impact in Paul's and the team's life. And then... We won't get to it tonight, but in the next couple of weeks, uh, he talks about their election by God, uh, how receptive they were, an attribute that's so important for for us as believers, and and how they just okay, we're just we're going to follow Paul, we're going to imitate him as he imitates Christ. We believe, we see the fruit, we see the the witness of the Holy Spirit through his ministry and through what in our own lives by obeying the word that we're being taught. You know, so they received. Uh, Paul's uh, testimony and became followers and became examples of what it means to be a Christian. And so these are the things that we're going to pick up here. There's seven things about being an example. And and obviously, as I said earlier, these things were present in Paul's life, in this ministry team's life, and they should be present in our life. So as he begins all his letters, uh, it's just a New Testament form, um, he introduces himself and his ministry team. And Silas initially came from Jerusalem, but he ended up at, at the Mecca, uh, another Mecca, so to speak, was Antioch up along the uh, coast, kind of uh, in the Lebanon area, uh, a little, probably a little bit further uh, on the coast there, a little bit further north. But that that's where the revival really broke out there. And that's where... Uh, Barnabas, who had gone from there, was there in Antioch, and there was a real move of God there, and he saw what was going on there. So he went to uh, Paul's city, 
because he, you know, Paul had been converted at that time and brought him down to Antioch, and they were there teaching and preaching. There were prophets and teachers, and God was just moving mightily, and that's where the missionary work began, you know, Acts 13. The Holy Spirit spoke to them, and they sent them out. And so somehow Silas had migrated from Jerusalem to that city, and we know uh, Paul decided to take him with him as he started his second missionary journey. And of course, Timothy was picked up in Ephesus in that area uh, in the first missionary journey. He was a younger fellow, probably uh, mid to late teens. And he, um, his mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and he saw and recognized the call of God upon his life and, and brought him along and discipled him. Very, had a very close, uh, knit relationship with him. But as always, uh, he, at the end of verse 1 there, it's grace and peace. And if you'll look up uh, Numbers 6, 24 and 25, this is that priestly prayer. You know, the grace uh, and peace be to you. You know, the, may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You know, that whole thing. This is that priestly prayer. This is, becomes an introduction by of Paul and the New Testament writers of grace and peace. You, the, just understand, all of God's blessings are imparted on this basis. And grace is always first. None of us deserve anything from God. Not one thing. Grace and peace are important. And that, that is the foundation of our walk with God. Grace resulting in peace. Grace is always first. As we know, the unmerited favor. We didn't deserve to be delivered from the wrath to come, but God was so kind to, to give us His Spirit and to transform us and make us more like Him. The result of that grace is that we surrendered. We no longer were at enmity with God. We no longer love the darkness more than the light. There was a transformation that, that took place. And the you know, as a result of that change, of that grace being extended and received, is peace. The tranquility of mind, a complete rest. We're no longer at war with God. This is, you know, peace is a wonderful thing, that quietness, that rest. It's the idea, Irene, is the idea of similar to shalom. Um, but not as rich as the word shalom. I'm trying to define a little bit of that as we go here. But it's it's the idea of, of Irene, the idea of well-being and uh, prosperity. And there's a security in that you now know that you are not in opposition to God. And the result of that is just rest. <sighs> Isn't that a wonderful feeling? To be at rest. And then, you know, there's a an aspect of several different nuances actually to peace um it's it's a it's as i'm try, trying to describe this healthy correlation that we have with god now as we respond to his will but there's a peace that's coming in an anticipation of a future event that's going to result in the kingdom of god when jesus comes and sets up his kingdom it will be a kingdom of peace he is the prince of peace and so it, it, peace relates to the end times, and, and Paul will bring that in later on. Um, and then, obviously, what really works out on a horizontal level is that we have peace with each other. 
you guys aren't mad at me anymore, you know, and I'm not mad at you, you know. We love each other. We care about each other. There's a there's something about peace that's just a, uh, very attractive and desirable. It's the ideal relationship. And so as we go, and this is sort of a takeoff of shalom, you know, but it's the the Hebrew language is a picture language. It's much richer. And shalom there covers it's a community thing it's a personal thing it's 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 as if god whatever's going on in heaven and the way life is in heaven in his very presence is what shalom means to for a person on earth god wants you and i who believe in him and the jewish nation who believe on him to live their lives as though they were living in his very presence with all the blessings of god so it covers every aspect of life, from relationships to your relationship with God to to the possessions that you have to your children, your interaction in trade, your interaction with foreign nations, just a a shalom, a peace, a well-being. It's the way things ought to be in a simple uh, sort of, um, if you distill it down to its lowest form. It's the way things God, God intended it to be. And so that's how Paul addresses all of his letters. And I just love those two words a lot, grace and peace. And the first thing uh, that he addresses in verse 2 is, is thanks. <clears throat> they were, because they received the gospel, and there was this immediate transformation in receiving the gospel, Paul just thanked God. Wait, oh, Lord, just want to thank you for those people in Thessalonica. You know, um, there's, I don't think we're a, a very thankful culture. It seems like the more we have, the less thankful we become. You know, kind of like that. If we spoil our children, um, you know, there's a tendency that they just get more and more, and they don't, they're not really thankful for the things that they have. Um, I'm not insinuating anything about my kids <laughs> necessarily. Just a general thing here, um, but it's—I was guilty of this, you know, as a kid. So there you go. Um, I—I <laughs> I just think it, it's odd that Paul, in his life, gave thanks for things that I would not normally give thanks for. He thanked God for good things and for things that befell him because he knew that God would use it for his glory and his purpose even though it brought suffering into his life. So he, he thanked God for suffering along the way. And that sort of is hard on our minds. We think we only have to thank God for the good things. Matthew Henry had a, uh, the story goes that he was attacked by thieves and robbers and they took his purse, you know. He wasn't femme, he just had his wallet. Okay, guys, just okay. He took his money. He took his, his wallet. <laughs> and um, and bef- he wrote in his diary that night, apparently, uh, first, let me be thankful, because I was never robbed before. A second, because although they took my purse, they did not take my life. <laughs> oh, that's a good thing. And third, because although they took everything, it wasn't that much. And fourth, because it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. <laughs> this guy's a thinker, right? At least I wasn't the one doing the robbing. <laughs> but I don't know. 
I, I need improvement in this area. I, maybe you do too. To learn to give thanks in all things. And you can always find something salvageable out of a, an ash heap, right? You know, when something really goes sideways. You can still thank God uh, as he did there. And I, I, I'm, um, I sort of admire his optimistic outlook, if you will. The second thing in verse 2 is that they were being prayed for regularly, making mention of you in our prayers. We, um, and you know, there's nothing more that will make you stronger Christian and a more healthy Christian than your prayer life. The more you pray, uh, you begin to realize it's your lifeblood. I cannot... I have to commune with God. I need to commune with God. I, not only do I need to pour out my heart and cast all my cares upon Him, but I need to, I need to receive from Him. And that's part of what happens in prayer as I'm listening. Um, I think Zevin Robert, Roberts, the, um, the Welsh revival that took place in the early 1900s, um, he said, the, the head, the arms, the limbs, the whole body of religious duties may be visible. But if the secret prayer is not regarded as a vital spark and is gone, there remains a breathless corpse. I mean, that, he, he really believed that. It's, it's, it's a lifeless, uh, uh, there's, it's a lifeblood. And without prayer, I'm lifeless, spiritually speaking. And so, um, so obviously this convicts me. You know, how is my prayer life? Can I pray more? Can I be more faithful uh, to praying for the various things that are important you know so it's it's good to examine our prayer life you know where am i at in that and and can it how can i improve that and then you know one of the things that blesses my heart about our church we are you know we're from my assessment i think we do pretty well as a church in praying, but we can always improve, right? We haven't yet, so far so good, right? We can, But we can always improve. But one of the things that really blesses me during uh, our fellowship times after the services is that you'll see people praying for other people. You know, you'll be in the back or out here afterwards and people are mingling and, and having conversations and all of a sudden you'll see somebody bow their head and, and they're, you know, put their hands on somebody and they're praying for them. And that that's a wonderful thing. That's the that's the body ministry. Uh, it's, it's so important. Um, you can read Ephesians three fourteen through twenty one. That's a good scripture to look over when you're thinking about your prayer life. But they were also remembered in verse three for their testimony. And this is where we'll end tonight before we go to prayer and praise. Is uh, things that I think are, are you know that were stuck in Paul's heart. Uh, verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. So, faith, love, and hope. Doesn't, doesn't he rem- mention that in First Corinthians 13? These three abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Now, I wonder if he had just written you know, that, or was ministering that, because he was a year and a half or so, almost two years in Corinth. And I think, you know, he was bringing that message, at least that's what he wrote to them in First Corinthians at a later date anyway. So this is the thing that God was working in Paul's life, and he mentioned it because he saw that 
going on there. But let's break that down a little bit. What does it mean, the work of faith? Well, we know James says, faith without works is what? Dead. It doesn't exist. It, doesn't, it leads to nowhere. And so what he is speaking here is the, re, the working reality of your faith. If there's no works prompted by faith, then your faith really is just an intellectual assent to facts. It's nothing more than that. It's, it, the idea here is that it is a continuous work, and it's, a, it's, a, it's in development, and it's being perfected in a person's life. And so these two go together. They, they're not separate. They cannot be separated. This is illustrated by the Scotsman who, <laughs> who got it. He understood this. He, he, he had a, a, a little rowboat, and he carved in one oar uh, faith, and then the other uh, oar he carved works. And so he would go across the river oaring. And so he one had a guy with him one time, and the guy noticed, hey, Faith, what's the idea? Well, I don't, you know, what's up with this? And he, so he, he stopped rowing, and he was just doing faith, one, just the faith oar. And he started to go in a circle. He wasn't going anywhere. He just going in a circle, right? And then he stopped that, and he started the other one. And he started going in the other direction, but he still wasn't going anywhere. And then he, he didn't say a word. He just did it. <laughs> And when he got to the other side, you see it takes both of them to get to the shore, right? The other side. You have to have, to get to your destination, to complete the work of faith within the human heart, there must be works. One without the other, you just go in circles. The working reality of faith. And Paul recognized that in these people. They were just talking because as we read later in 9 and 10, they were out sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is a work. Sharing your testimony. Well, I don't really like to talk. Well, you have a testimony. What has Jesus done for you? You can just share what God's done in your life. That's, and in doing so, that's, that's a good work. It's not just assisting people do things that, that is important helping the poor and doing other things so just another way of expressing faith and their labor secondly their labor of love and this is you know when we're talking about labor we're talking about sweat you know the sweat of the brow toil and uh, the, the something you're doing is, and, and it's actually like a mother's love for her children. It's self-denying because there's a need here and I love this child and I'm going to do this regardless of the pain or the sleeplessness that it may be causing me. And that's what we're talking about here. It's a self-denying love. And I've been, in my devotional life, and I'm just going to, I got convicted so I'm just going to give it to you too. Right? <laughs> First Peter 4, 7 uh, has been on my heart for the last week here. First Peter 4, 7. And I want to read it to you because that sort of ties into this. But the end of all things is at hand. Would you agree to that? I think we're near the end. I know I'm, near, I'm closer to the end of my life than I am the, the other way, right? <laughs> uh, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful. Be alert 
and pay attention. Be thoughtful about your prayers. And we're going to do that tonight in a little bit here. And above all things, have fervent love one for, for one another. Fervent love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. And if anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, through whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here's the exhortation for, from Peter to us. Be serious, you know, thoughtful and considerate, and pay attention, watchful, in your prayer life. This is why when you pray, I find it very important to pay attention to what I'm praying. Because there's sometimes, and I've said this before, but it's, it hasn't changed since the last time I said it. I find it very interesting that I find myself saying, why did I pray that? Why, why did I, wait, I wasn't going to pray that, but why did I pray that? That is the Holy Spirit working. Pay attention to what you're praying, because sometimes you'll realize that's the Lord speaking to you through your prayer life. And I think that's sort of what he's talking about here. And of course, love, that's the most important thing of all, right? And then be hospitable. Share, share what God's given to you. And whatever your gift is, use it. And do it all to the glory of God. And lastly, so you have the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. And the idea of patience here is the word, it's not patient like hurry up, guy, get out of my way so I can get on my way down the road. You know, it's not kind of that kind of patience. This is talking about steadfast endurance. This is staying at the task even though it hurts and it's painful and when you're dead tired it's, it means continuing to put the next foot in front of the other and keep moving in the right direction steadfastly because I know this is what has to be done and I'm, I've got this endurance in my life because in that, in a lot of cases because I hope I can get this done so I can rest, right? But here it's the patience of hope uh, you know, it, it, it's the idea that you're going through a difficult time and you're just going to keep to the course because your idea in this is that at some point, hopefully in the near future, the Lord's blessing is going to come and I will I'll not be in this difficult situation anymore. That is what hope is all about. It, it's looking to the future because God's going to bring change. And, and I'm telling you, there's nothing more important that the church needs right now. I see the church of Jesus Christ, generally speaking, being bound by fear, divided, wanting to separate and isolate because of the things that are going on in the world today. And I, I think we need to put our hope in the Lord. And so I kind of want to leave it with that. And so Chelsea's going to come and lead us in worship, and I sort of want to kind of, at least I had mine, whatever the Lord wants, right? But let's, if you pray, and let's just pray and sing, and you can pray out loud, it's always a blessing to hear your prayers, 
and let's just wait on the Lord and, and, and let's listen, you know. You know, the Lord may have us pray something that will really clarify some things that maybe you uh, yourself need some clarity on.